Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Brainwaves on 855am 3CR Community Radio. Today we will be speaking with Allah and specifically looking at managing a child's mental illness from the perspective of a parent. Ella and her daughter Natasha have written two books, The Bipolar Express and Panic Stations, along The Bipolar Express, about their experience managing Natasha's mental illness. The books are divided into sections in which each of them writes about their separate but interrelated experience and stories. Hi Ella, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, um, I guess, giving us your time and deciding to tell us about your journey and your experience. So I guess we'll just get straight into the interview, if that's okay with you. Yes, yes. Okay. So I guess the first thing that we want to talk to you about is that both you and Natasha refer to her being different from quite a young age. Can you tell us, um, I guess, how this manifested? What did it look like? Um, the first time we noticed something weird was when she was five months and I went to get her from the bedroom and she was gone and she dismantled her bed and broke all the rungs. So then she flew through the house, ate everything in the fridge and uh, did a lot of damage otherwise. But, um, so from the minute she could move, like crawl, she, she didn't walk for a long time. She was mm-hmm. totally manic. She was like a like a cyclone, like a whirlwind. Her behaviour was totally reckless. She would throw food around, climb bookshelves before she could walk, jump into swimming pools, fully clothed. She didn't sleep at night, which is a sign of bipolar. Um, she had no inhibitions. We're in a, on a holiday in Vanuatu, and she just uh, jumped on the stage with a band and started dancing. So that was um, a very outgoing personality. Mm. So those are sort of the first signs that you noticed that made you worry that she might have a serious mental health problem? Um, No, we didn't know it was a mental health problem. We just knew that her behaviour and mood weren't usual. Um, She was diagnosed with ADHD at 10 and several times after but it didn't cover all bases. Um, I just have to note that in 1983, there was little or no knowledge of what bipolar was. So we knew she was, didn't behave like an, you know, an average child, but we, didn't, we had no idea of mental illness at all. Mm. Sorry, Ella, how old is Natasha now? 33. 33, okay. Um, so Ella, can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of steps did you take next? So you began to notice all these, um, I guess, different behaviours and they began to manifest at such a young age. What kind, Did you take any immediate steps after that or what kind of pathway occurred? Well, we, we basically, um, it was impossible to find any help, impossible. Uh, I took her to every specialist, every, you know, speech therapy, all... all any kind of psychologist, I person, everything we could find. Uh, we went there in, in the hope, you know, psychiatrist, psychologist, to sort of, you know, desperately wanting to hear some condition, but no one, no one said it, no one knew it. 
so we've come a very long way yeah knowing you know yeah it sounds like a a really long journey um very long of of many many years yeah what what do you think was the most frustrating or disappointing thing when it came to accessing the professional support for natasha um it was mostly um disappointing was the fact that whatever specialist we went to we finally um found um her sister who was at university saw a um video with a lady who had bipolar at at, when she was doing psychology university and she sort of was pretty close to what natasha was was happening to so we managed to get an appointment with the top bipolar specialist in sydney in um the university of new south wales and um he um he denied that she had bipolar because she was only depressed for the five minutes he saw and he wouldn't listen to us even though we were saying look this is just five minutes she's destructive she's you know gets lost she goes places disappears um and he just said no she's got a you know she's got depression a bit of depression he upped her medication um and 10 days later she was in hospital psychiatric hospital so you know suffering from a psychotic break and that she was 20. so it was close to impossible to get help close to impossible wow that must have been really tough yeah even the you know the the bipolar um the bipolar clinic when i rang them up they said oh no no, no. we can only see her if you've been assessed and uh, deemed bipolar. And I said, well, that's my problem. I can't find anyone who will deem her bipolar. So mm-hmm. it was just like a run around with not much happening, you know. So we pretty much gave, gave up on that. But once she was at the clinic, it was um, it still wasn't 100% the, the diagnosis. Yeah. Ali, um, you mentioned that, you know, when this all first began to manifest, that there wasn't much known about bipolar. I guess the next thing I want to ask you is, how did it feel to have to trust other healthcare professionals like a psychiatrist with your daughter's well-being in a time where there wasn't much known about this kind of? Um, well, her, her current psychiatrist, we would trust with her life, which is saved time and time again when she was suicidal or very depressed, as well as other members of the family. The previous psychiatrist, don't ask. Mm. So it sounds like because of all this, you've got such a strong bond with your daughter and you've written two books about your experiences, both written from each of your perspectives. Where do your perspectives differ in the most? The perspectives differ in that um, um, Natasha likes being manic. It makes her feel happy, creative and free. She fears the depression more, but we fear the mania more. Because when she's manic, you can't stop her. You know, you can't stop her from doing things that she may regret later. Um, whereas the depression's scary, but she fears the depression because of suicidal thoughts. Um, but she loves the mania, which we hate. Mm, they're both such difficult states to deal with. Yes. Um, yes, it is difficult, and you know when she's depressed, you got to check check on her, 
make sure, you know, everything's all right. Um, but the manias, now that she's got the right medication, the manias are minimised. Mm. It's more manageable. Yeah, mm. yeah. In saying that, what symptoms did you find the most difficult to cope with? Um, when Natasha talks a million miles an hour uh, with a new idea every second and we can't even keep up or keep her under control, that's, that's possibly the most difficult because the depression, she's in her room, you know, we check on her, we, you know, we know, we, we sort of, we're worried, but we're not, not as worried as the mania. Hmm. So do you think your relationship with Natasha is stronger because of your experience with mental illness? Definitely, definitely, yes, yes, mm-hmm. definitely. We like um, two halves of one person. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Um, <laughs> no, she's her father's, my partner Peter is there the same, you know, he, he looks after us. <laughs> but um, we just know what each other feels without even like having to talk about it. Mm. So um, it's definitely a bonus. <laughs> Not that I wish it on anyone, but um, if you've got to have it, it's good if, you, if you're friends, if you're close. Yeah, it sounds like Natasha's got a great support system around her. Uh, well, we, ho- we hope that that's sort of... Yeah, she, she does. She can say anything, she can tell us anything. She can, you know, we, we just... Um, um, well, especially now with the medication and she's rational and, you know, it's, but even when she wasn't, we were there straight away, you know, whenever something happens to her. Mm. Ella, how, how do you think your mother-daughter relationship um, with Natasha is different from relationships where the child doesn't have a mental illness? Um, I wouldn't know because I've got, both my daughters have got mental illness. Spoiler alert for the second book. <laughs> but, uh, um, I don't know. I, I I just know that, like, with people that haven't got that, it depends on the individuals. Some have great relationships, some don't. But I know that in our case, often people will say, you know, who's that girl sitting across from you? And I go, it's my daughter. And they go, be talking to her like a friend. And I go, well, we are friends. So we sort of got that special bond of um, of understanding of, you know, where she's at and what she's feeling. And, yeah, so um, I, I can't really say... I, I could only say, like, what I see for my friends. And they're not always great, like the relationships or, you know, the more battling with each other than maybe we are. I don't know. But it just depends on the people. Mm. Well, it sounds like a really, really strong and caring relationship, but I'm sure it had its troubles as well. How did you balance caring for a child with an illness while allowing sir, her some autonomy and independence, probably especially while she was a t- teenager as well? Yes, she didn't give us much choice. She was always very independent and her own person, and we let her be. Um, we only intervened when it was life or death or possible harm or when she asked for help. Um, but otherwise, you know, she, we would, you know, get up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning and she'd just taken off and gone to a friend's place. You know, like she was never, we couldn't, unless we sort of tied her down, she did her own thing. She started working when she was 14 and 
she um, she just did her own thing. Mm. So it was very, it was very frightening to not know where she is. Um, but um, yeah, she pretty much did her own thing. Where we, we you know, we never sort of really had a curfew because we thought, well, she's going to break it anyway. Yeah, taking yeah. things in a bit of a different direction, I guess. At times, do you find it difficult to differentiate between your daughter's personality and the symptoms of her illness? Um, the previous psychiatrist um, refused to try lithium with Natasha. He said it would change her personality. It did, but what a change. It's what we were looking for. I can see the difference between mania and her personality. I've noticed she's not as deliriously happy with, you know, saying a tongue-in-cheek as she used to be, but she's safe and she's rational. So um, I can differ... I think it's she. It's the I think her personality is tied in together with the illness, but on a much slower level, on a much less heightened. Um, I mean, she's still very enthusiastic, and you know, she does multitask most of the time, which she always used to do. But she's the main thing is she's rational. So because she's rational, it's easier for me to see the personality and um, not just the symptoms of the illness. Hmm. So were you always able to focus on Natasha as a person and recognise her illness as only a part of who she is, or did you find yourself focusing on her condition? Um, we know they're both intertwined, so we focus on both. The only time we were scared was during a psychotic break when she didn't recognize us. Um, so that's when I thought, that, that's not Natasha. You know, she's got to crawl back from the psychosis and, you know, come back to us. And that took a few weeks. So that was pretty much like, we always focus on, on both. But when she, you know, when she was psychotic, that was very scary. Mm. So, Ali, at the very beginning of this interview, you know, you mentioned that this journey began quite a long time ago with Natasha when she was quite a young girl. Over time, do you, how has, I guess, um, the way that you've supported Natasha or helped her to manage her illness, how has that changed over time? Um, well, we were, we were always, um, like, fighting she was faster than us, you know, we, we couldn't keep up with the changes. Um, but we always just like, you know, if I was called from work to come and get her from school because she had a panic attack, then, you know, we would run. We, we always gave her like unconditional support until one time we had to give conditional support because, <laughs> we, you know, sometimes we thought we're not going to survive this. And her illness really you know, changed when she started taking lithium. Now, now it's changed a little bit. Before, a panic attack like, always involved, when we saw her buying bandages and walking sticks, that we knew trouble's coming because that was her way of trying to protect herself. But now she takes care of me. She's a bit of a nurse. So out come the bandages and the walking sticks. So we sort of look after each other, but we... The way we helped her was always the same with different situations. 
you know, with different, um, you know, she'd have a panic attack, whether it was at the university or, you know, it could have been um, at the hospital where she thought she was having a heart attack or, you know, she was, um, we always ran whenever she was in trouble, basically. Mm. So what do you do to look after your own mental health and well-being? Uh, medication. <laughs> and um, I spend time with family and friends, walk the dog, write, gardening, just simple things, not... I don't do archery. <laughs> so just, you know, your normal bowing therapy, you know, just a few different things to help with the mind. How important is humour to you as a coping mechanism? That's, that's the most important thing. If you can't laugh about it, no matter how grim it is, then it just gets too much. But if you can laugh about things a bit, then you know we've always laughed about things. So that just gives you a bit of a break and perspective that not everything is dark and black. Mm. And you've mentioned, Ella, before that you use your friends as quite a bit of a support system for yourself. Yeah. How has Natasha's illness affected your relationship with your friends? Uh, look, on the whole, most of them have stuck with us and have been more than supportive, uh, but a few fell off the radar. You know, a few sort of went, ah, oh, that explains it, and that hurts, you know. <laughs> I mean, that explains it. But um, most of my friends are you know, steadfast and very supportive, which is good. Yeah, that that's key, I guess, to helping you manage things. Yeah. Have you been through a grief process or experienced a sense of loss? No, no, I haven't. She's, she's awesome the way she is. We haven't lost anything. She's a fabulous cook, great painter, electronics whiz and a very good person. So we just try and focus on the talents you know she's um yeah she's very creative and she can do anything in the house and she's just she's amazing so I don't feel like I think like I've gained rather than lost okay so with hindsight is there anything that you feel you should have done differently yes homeschool homeschool um if I had my time again, I would homeschool her. She was so heavily bullied, physically and emotionally, that we moved schools quite a lot. She never fitted in. She spent so much time trying to fit in and not enough time studying. We debate her childhood because we say she had learning difficulties. But she asks, do I have a learning, learning difficulties or was it always the bipolar that made me unfocused? And she's right. She's a very clever girl. So if she was home a one-on-one, um, she would have been fine. But in especially high school with some very, very bad bullying, she was scared to go every day, um, she would have been better off at home. Mm. That's what I would do different. Ella, you mentioned university before. Can you just give us a picture of what university looked like for Natasha? Was it a similar experience to school or was it completely um, different? It was. It was, um, the beginning was good for about three days, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, she was enrolled in arts, psychology and film. Um, 
and then with the millions of things you got to juggle, you know, between the enrollments and the library card, and the, there's just so much goes on that you have to to be at. For her, it was even though she's good at multitasking, um, but the worst part was that she she'd done a um, uh, essay on on the film that had to you know go through a film and. Analyze it and um, detail it, and you know even Peter helped her a bit and looked over it. Uh, and then a friend of hers said, um, "Can I have your assignment? Can I borrow your assignments? I'm running out of time." Um, so she said, "Yes, yeah, sure, no problems." So anyway, this this kid took it, put in big words, you know, like from a dictionary. He got a high distinction. She got a pass. Just no. And she said, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, it's just so unfair. And also, she suffers terrible from panic attacks, anxiety and panic attacks. And um, she had to do a um, one, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, experiment. You did an experiment to get some points towards your mark. And she went along, and the guy started um, zapping her with the, um, I don't know what it was. Electric shocks, yes. So he was giving her electric shocks. Mm. And she just completely freaked out. And he said, oh, no, it's great, great. You're a great candidate because you just suffer from anxiety. So um, anyway, she just, like, ran to the street. It was howling in High Street and, uh, you know, bring me up and I had to come and get her. Was the university aware of Ella's experience with mental health and was there any support for her? Um Yes, yes, there was definitely support, but not for this. We basically rang them up and came to see them, and they were, like, running scared because they thought we'd probably sue them or something. Mm. But um, there was definitely a mental health group or advisor or there was support, but it wasn't wasn't what you needed. It wasn't enough. Yeah. There's so many other elements than just, being there. So, I mean, she dropped out very quickly. Ella, what have you learnt about yourself through this experience? Um, that's another spoiler alert, that I also have bipolar, which is the whole, the whole family is riddled with it. And But I have learned that I'm very resilient and very strong, which is very important. Why did you decide to write a book about your experience? Um, okay, Natasha, sta- Natasha was always writing a diary, always writing a diary. When she was in her first psych ward, um, my sister gave her like a pink diary, so she started writing about the patients, but not with names. And, uh, I, and I started writing because she didn't remember anything before 16, uh, 16, 14, 14, yeah, before 14. So I wrote my part on the roller coaster ride as a mother and a carer and along her ride, alongside her ride as a sufferer. So it just happened because she started writing that um, we did it together. And the second one's just a continuation of the first one. So were you nervous or reluctant to be so open and honest about your life while writing a book? No, no, it was never a question. We, you know, we wanted to tell our story and being honest is, you know, the only way to help others. You have to be brave to help someone else. 
It's not wishy-washy. It's, it's, it's as it as it is. Your books are unusual and have been successful, possibly in part because they're written from two different but two very related perspectives. What do you think this reflects about the experience and the dynamic of families who are affected by mental ill health? Um, we often come across a, um, a bipolarian, <laughs> someone bipolar, whose family doesn't understand the condition. And after reading, especially the first book, we have had responses like, I've passed the book on to my mother, so now she can understand me. Or we get emails from people saying, before I just thought my daughter was crazy, but now I understand she has bipolar. So to help one person, you know, it's it's very, very good. And, you know, also after the books, the professor did, that denied Natasha had bipolar at the age of 20 and wouldn't listen to us. Years later, saw an article in the paper written by him saying, listening to the parents is very important and it felt like a triumph. Oh, wow. Yeah, can you believe it? <laughs> it was so horrible. <laughs> anyway, what can you do? But now at least they're acknowledging that, you know, the family has more insight because they can see the person not just for five minutes, but for every day. So um, we just hope that people can see the different perspectives and, and they go, oh, that's me. Because any any time we meet someone, they go, oh yeah, my cousin's got bipolar. Oh yeah, my daughter's got bipolar. So a lot of people have got bipolar, any kind of mental illness. Mm. So it's very important. Yeah, it sounds like your books are really making a difference in families with that are experiencing somebody that has bipolar. Yeah. What advice would you give to parents who are in a situation similar to the one you've experienced? Um, okay, I'd say get the right psychiatrist. Keep looking until you find the right psychiatrist and the right medication for them. Um, also, what helped Natasha was um, cognitive behaviour therapy lady, the CBT psychologist. Don't be afraid to try different meds. Lithium works wonders for Natasha, but a mind for someone else. It took Natasha many years, many different types of meds before she found the good balance. Too many people give up after trying one that didn't work. So it's down to getting that person rational. So when you talk to them, they're not you know, off with the fairies. Mm. What's the most important positive thing that has come out of this, this experience? Um, love, the, the love, understanding, patience, friendship. And also I make phone calls on her behalf because she doesn't, want, doesn't like it. So <laughs> any kind of weird support that you can offer, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, just to be together and to, you know, to she can tell me anything, no matter what it is. Um, she can tell us anything, which is you know, the most important thing. Mm. So where can our listeners learn more about your experiences? Uh, we've got a, um, a web a web page, uh, facebook.com.au, uh, not Facebook, sorry, The Bipolar Express, yeah, there's a Facebook page, thebipolarexpress.com.au, the and the website's 
thebipolar, it's thebipolarexpress.com.au. Yeah, great. And we'll make sure that those links are up on our page when we put up the show. Yeah, the, the, if you Google uh, the Bipolar Express or Panic Stations, you you can find a way to our webpage and, you know, you can download an e-book, which is a very economical way, or you can either have paperback or, or e-book. Fantastic. Thank you so much, um, right. Ella, for coming on the show and, and talking to us about your experiences. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Brainwaves on 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. We've been speaking with Ella, author of The Bipolar Express and Panic Stations. You can download podcasts of our show at 3cr.org.au as well as brainwaves.org. Stay tuned for Renegade Economist. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.